0: Session one, page one, it says, Our Heavenly Matchmaker. And I'm so, I do love this topic, and thank you, Sarah, for inviting me. And and so we're going to parallel the ancient Jewish wedding um, steps and discover the relevance for our lives. Maybe some of you are familiar with that song, Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a fine, catch me a catch, matchmaker, matchmaker, look through your book, and make me a perfect. Okay, so you know that song from Fiddler on the Roof. And maybe you didn't know that that was actually a musical based on historical events that happened in the 20th century century Russian village. And the matchmaker song actually reflects the first step of our wedding process. And um, <clears throat> so it's based on, you know, in, in 20th century Russian Jewish communities, you hired a matchmaker to make your daughters a match. And Tevia, if you remember the father in the story, you know, tradition, He had many daughters, I think four or five, but his oldest was Seidel. And Seidel, the oldest always has to get the the, uh, groom first. So the song, and you hire a matchmaker, and she looks through the community and decides who's right. But the song goes on to say, with no dowry, no money, no family background, Be glad you'll get a man. In other words, don't get your hopes up, if some of you know the... And I don't know, how many of you would like an arranged marriage? Ooh, we have a a taker, Lord. (laughs) Well, I think in our modern day society, most of us want the um, ability to choose. And we want, don't you want somebody to choose you? You want somebody to come and pursue you. So we spend lots of time (laughs) making ourselves desirable and appealing, and uh, we want to attract the perfect match. And I believe, as I think about teaching women over the years, that many of our addictions and dysfunctions start to come up in us when we think it's not working, that we're not desirable enough. So we work harder, don't we? (laughs) <laughs> we want to be healthier. We want to strive to be happier. We want to have that um, sense of value and feel better about ourselves. But it's so different with our Heavenly Father. He sees us. He sees us all right in this room. He knows us, and he chooses to love us just the way we are. Now, you probably put a little cream on your face, but no special creams required. No cosmetic surgery needed. No weight loss program at all. I figured the older I get, the more I want to have a few extra things happening. Because <laughs> just kidding. All right, so no we don't have to do anything. He loves us just the way we are. And this is the reality that we need to Keep in the center of our hearts and minds. He desperately loves us. And you know, it's not in your your, uh, bulletin, but Psalm 139, some of you might know the passage that King David wrote, where he says in verse 14, I will give thanks. Why? Because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. And then he goes on to say, Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden in secret. And then he talks about us being woven in our mother's womb. How wonderful is that? And it says, in thy book, they were all written, all my days that were ordained for me. So this passage of scripture reiterates God not only sees us, he has a plan for us. He knows us. And I don't even understand this. But the scriptures tell us that from the foundation of the world, he chose us and he has plans for us. Hallelujah. So so you think, well, how does God figure out what he's going to choose? And so I'm using the Jewish people as an example because you might have Jewish friends And you might say to them, gee, you're the chosen people. And they might say, gee, I wish you'd go choose somebody else for a while, you know, because we've been persecuted and all these things. But let's look at the Hebrew Scriptures. It's your first passage there. And we are going to be moving through a lot of Scripture, but that's okay. Guess what? The Word of God is powerful, living, living. And hopefully, it's going to cut through some of the stuff we brought in our hearts and souls. So it says in Deuteronomy, seven, verse six, he's talking about the Jewish people. He says, "For you are a holy people to the Lord your God." Now, the Lord your God has not chosen you to be a people for His own; has chosen you to be a people for His own possession. Whew, that was a little forty and slip there. His own possession, that's a very good word, chosen, own possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the what? The least likely to succeed nation. There wasn't even one Jew to love. (laughs) Ooh, I'm getting the flowers. Um, but because the lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers in other words just to break this down a little bit that word choose bahar in hebrew means to select a preference a special choice and then we so why did god choose the jewish people after we've read this chapter or this portion if somebody said well why did god choose the jews What would you say to them? you probably say, well, it's because they're the smartest nation. Not true. It's because they're the richest. We only wish that were true. It's because they're the best looking. What's it say there? It says, because you were the fewest. And I wanted to demonstrate my love and my ability to keep this people that I made these promises to. My covenant oath to them. And so, and you know, the other word that I love, the phrase, is his own possession. Segulah, it's treasured possession. Something that is an amazing, uh, special thing. Do you have a treasured possession? I bet your children are your treasured possession. Yeah. And so... <laughs> God declares to the people of Israel and to each of us as well. And so maybe you're here this morning, you'll say, okay, this lady's coming. She's telling me how special I am. (laughs) But I don't feel very special this morning. And maybe you feel like God has sort of disappointed you. You haven't had your prayers answered. Or maybe you feel like you've disappointed God. And I just want to tell you and say to you, and from my own walk with the Lord, which has been many years. God will not waste anything that you are going through or that you will go through. He won't waste any of the suffering, any of the heartaches. He doesn't waste any of the victories either. He doesn't waste any of the years supporting your husband, raising your children. And now some of you are loving those grandkids. I got two, Boaz is one. And my little soul is four, and we have the same birthday in August. Woohoo! So, but look, so God wants you to know that you have have a redeemer. What does it mean to redeem? It means to buy back, to restore. And He's gonna restore, renew, and revive everything in your life, but you have to turn it over to His capable hands. So, look at verse, uh, the next passage. It talks about being chosen, you and me. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. What is Peter saying in this letter? But you are a what? Chosen. Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And here's this idea, a people for God's own possession. Why? Look what it says. That you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Wow. So you've got this amazing um, promise and declaration. And when it says, out of darkness into his marvelous light, what's the darkness? He redeemed us from the pit, didn't he? And crowned us with compassion and loving kindness. That's Psalm 103. So... um, that pit of darkness, into his marvelous light. And Yeshua, Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Ephesians, let's go, keep going here, chosen by God in order to what? In order to put you in a corner and hit you over the head and say, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. No, to bless you. Look what it says. And <clears throat> I'm going to say this probably several times as I'm teaching, because over the past probably year and a half to two, two years, I have, the Lord has impressed upon me to memorize not only verses, but portions of scripture. It has been one of the most life-affirming things that I have done in my faith to be able to... How many of you wake up in the middle of the night for a couple hours? <laughs> I'm not alone. Thank you, Lord. And so in those, those when I wake up, I try to bring to mind the, the passages that I've been memorizing. And I'm not bragging, but I'm te- I teach this class, and I went in a few weeks ago, and I said, okay, I'm ready to recite Psalm 103, because I've been memorizing it, and it's only taken me a year and nine months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just saying, if I can do it, you can do it. But look what it says here, Ephesians 1. Verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who has blessed us with just a couple of blessings, maybe one or two. What's it say? Every, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In the having in Messiah. It's always in Messiah, in Jesus. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Just as He chose us in Him when? Before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to the adoptions we'll put as daughters. Through Jesus the Messiah to himself. According to the kind intention of his will. And I forgot to add verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestows on us in the beloved. So God selects us, picks us out. It's not a haphazard choice. So this choosing is the first step in the Jewish wedding. And I have a scriptural example there. We sort of see it in the life of Abraham. It was pretty important that he find a wife for Isaac because Isaac was the child of promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Going on down, the fa- one of the fathers. So he sends his tr- most trusted servant out on a trip. He says, please go find, choose a wife for my son Isaac. And in Genesis 24, we won't read it. We just find that he finds this woman and she's drawing water for camels, I think. And uh, he s- goes over and asks her to help. She not only helps, she does over and above. And then she says, why don't you come back to my father's house? And we'll, you know, because hospitality was a big uh, um, value in the Middle East. So the point is, God showed the servant of Abraham, she's the one. I choose her for Isaac. But Rebecca still had to respond, didn't she? She could have said, nah, I'm not going to help you. So anyhow, she chose. Yay, we're glad. Okay, so God chose you to be Messiah's bride, and according to the scripture in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world. And I don't understand it, but I know that, and according to that uh, portion in Ephesians, God doesn't have hidden agendas. Do you have friends who have hidden agendas they're friends because you, you can really cook good and they want to come over for your food. Or, or you can make things for them and they're really, you know, no, God has no hidden agendas. He says uh, he loves you, he chose you, and you need to say yes, yes to the dress. Okay, you've got it. Now, so, oh, so now let's keep going here. So we've got this Hebrew name for the arrangement. Shiduchin, and it's from the um, the idea of a matchmaker, a shidach. I know a little Hebrew, a little Yiddish, and so it all gets smushed together. So, but but there is a something that has to happen when the arrangement is made, and that's the bride price has to be given by the father, and so we have. In this parallel, this beautiful truth that Jesus, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, paid our bride price. It's called a mohar. And when this arrangement is made, it's gonna morph into the second, everything flows into, the steps flow into one another. But let's think of what the bride price was. Under your outline there, I have our Heavenly Father. Paid the bride price in what? Messiah's blood. He made a covenant with us. And we have all all covenants in the uh, Old Testament had to be cut with blood. So uh, we have this portion. And what I wanted to point out to you is, let's look at it. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Asai also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's the the phrase. Yeshua, Jesus, gave himself up for us. Why? That he might sanctify us, cleanse her by the washing of the water of the word, and that he might present to himself the congregation in all her glory. We're the congregation in all our glory. And look what the next phrase says. Having no... Or... Or any such thing. There's your beauty regimen. It, it'll work. That we should be holy and blameless. Now, the mystery is great. These things are beyond our total comprehension. And aren't you glad? Because I don't care how long you've been a believer, you're going to keep growing in, in the truths of his word and his love for you. We can't, you know, how, uh, what's the portion in Ephesians? Uh, the deep love of Jesus—how high, how wide, how deep—you know all these things we can't understand. It. We want to grow in our understanding of it. So, so we've got now. Look, uh, well, we're almost done with page one. Woo hoo! Okay. So, at the bottom it says the covenant of marriage. Now here's another. I don't want to throw too many terms, but you've got it in your takeaway—that beautiful keepsake that the ladies uh, made for you. And the ketubah is the covenant of marriage. And so during the arrangement, this ketubah is brought out and it's established by the groom. And it's just a Hebrew word that means it's taken from the root to write, ketav. So it's written down this covenant that the man and the wife have with each other in a Jewish tradition. But in our faith, how it parallels, look at Luke 22, 20, page 2 on your uh, booklet. We're transported to the upper room where Jesus was having that last Passover meal with his disciples. And some of you are familiar with Passovers, but if you're not, there's four cups of wine that are partaken of. And the third cup is always after dinner. And um, he says, Jesus says in Luke twenty two twenty, 20, and in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, it has a special name, that cup. It's called the cup of redemption. Traditionally, it's called the cup of redemption. Of course, as believers, we see, well. Wow. And he says, what? This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant, testament, In my blood. Okay, so what the disciples, when they heard that, they probably thought, hmm, new covenant, I've heard that before. I think it was the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant I made when I took them out of Egypt, a covenant which they broke, even though I was a husband unto them. But this will be a new covenant. And some of the things about the new covenant... I will take away their sins, and each one will know the Lord. And so he ushered in this new covenant, this payment of our bride price. And how many of you have seen the movie? Okay, it's not so spiritual, but show me the money. (laughs) It's an old movie for you younger ladies. But it's a sports guy, Jerry Maguire, and he does the negotiations for the football players. And so he, falls, he doesn't fall in love. He, he marries his wife sort of for convenience. And then all of a sudden, he has this moment after he wins big with his player, and he goes back to his wife, and he goes in, and he looks at her, and he says, You complete me. That's the thing where she says, you had me to low. But that's not what I want to say. You complete me. Don't you love that? Wouldn't you love someone to say that to you? Okay, well, look at your next verse. Because your groom, Jesus the Messiah, declares the same to you. His heart will always be yours. He chooses you. He pursues you. He desires you. He loves you. You're his top priority. So don't let yourself be deceived by thinking that you're not worth God's love, that somehow you're lacking and need something to fulfill your life to make you better. Sometimes in the Jewish um, messianic movement, we have people who come in and say, Oh, I wish I was Jewish. (laughs) Hello? You're complete in Messiah. Look, let's read Colossians 2.10 together. And in him you have been made Complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. So, if something is complete, is it lacking? Good answer. (laughs) And so, I just, with this, we're sort of ending the first step here, going into the second step. But I want us to take a moment and I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to say, I am chosen. Look at somebody and say, I am chosen. I am chosen. And then say, I am, I am loved. And then say, I am his bride forever. I am his bride forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am eternally desired. All right. So you can now sing, your heavenly matchmaker made you his match. He chose you and bought you. With his own blood, for you are his chosen, his treasured bride. Okay. You're eternally desired. All right. So I think I just went off key there. No, okay, no people with perfect pitch coming up afterwards. So, okay. So now we're going to the second part. Are you ready? Yes. You have your running shoes on? All right. Good. We'll be on. So we have to, just looking at the time. Just, oh. I think we're good on time. All right. So now we absolutely need this focus of being chosen as we come into the next wedding uh, step. And so as we look at, uh, we're on page two now, the heading is being betrothed to Jesus, our groom. This goes into the second phase of the Jewish wedding called the betrothal. Now, it's sort of an old-fashioned word, but we see it in in Deuteronomy. It says that a betrothal, it's a covenant, and um, it can't be broken. It's like being married already. And we see this in the example of Mary Mary and Joseph, don't we? Um, Where Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows, when his mother Mary, or Miriam, had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So um, what did Joseph do after he found out Mary was, pre- Mary was pregnant? He, Yeah, he thought, wow, because it would have been she had broken their covenant, that she had broken the marriage contract. He would have had every... Um, to Just to divorce her and shame her and she would have been an outcast And of course the angel appeared and everything changed Angels come with good news, right? Yeah. Okay, so the whole situation changed and, and Mary then was left Because she had this nine months of pregnancy But that was her betrothal period and she never came together with Joseph until after the birth of, you, of Jesus and his ministry. You know, this kind of thing. Of course, she did have more kids. But this brings us into the seriousness of the betrothal period. And it's, it's a time, it's traditionally called, here's another Hebrew word for you, kiddushim. kidashim, Kidashin. I don't know, nun or mem at the end. But it's kiddush. Do you hear that? Um it's it's a word. Maybe some of you were at the Paul Wilbur concert last night and he was saying kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Did he sing kadosh? That means holy, holy, holy. That's what the cherubim, yeah, the cherubim. Seraphim. Fiery ones in the heavenlies with Isaiah's vision, Isaiah 6. It says the Seraphim, which means fiery ones Were up there And they had six wings Two were covering their feet Modesty Two were covering their face Reverence Two were ready to serve And what were they doing up there? Holy, holy, holy Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh The whole world The whole earth is filled with his glory So this Betrothal period is actually named after that word kadosh because we are to be making ourselves ready for our groom. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we doing this? The best gift that I can give my beloved is a heart fully yielded to him. There's nothing greater than we can offer Jesus than our undivided life, wholly submitted to him. So our groom tells us we need to do this. And it's, you know, this is the phrase for this um, uh, step. <laughs> everything you do matters. Everything you do matters. Um, while we're waiting in this betrothal period, everything you do matters to God. Your motives, your behavior, your service for the Lord's important to him. And it says in 1 Peter 3:15 that we are sanctify our, the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. That's why he still left us here. So we will be His voice. That was First Peter 3:15. It's not in your um, outline, but it's a very good verse to, that we are to make holy the Lord God. where in our hearts and then always be ready to talk about him, to uh, love him and to testify. So uh, everything is being looked at by the Lord. Look at how are you, now I asked the question in the middle of the page two, how are you building your trousseau or hope chest? Does anybody remember that term hope chest? You know, my sister's four years older than me, and I remember, We, you know, I'm not going to go into my, my whole background, but I do remember there was a cedar chest that was in my mom and dad's bedroom, and it was beautiful, and I would open it, and I would say, wow, there was like quilts and handmade things, and I'd say, mom, what's this for? She said, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Your sister's going to get married before you, which was true. And she'll get it, and you won't get anything. But what was the hope chest for? The hope chest was a a, a symbol of what the bride was doing to make herself ready, to make those fancy pillowcases or the lovely napkins or the beautiful um, maybe dressing gown or whatever. So she would be able to present them to her groom, her beloved, Look what it says in Revelation 19:8 and we'll look at this a little later too. And it was given to her, that's you and me ladies, as the bride. It was given to her to clothe herself in what? We're not talking about just any old linen. We're talking about the best of the best of the best. Bright and clean. Now, what does the fine linen represent? For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, um, and this is what Ephesians is telling us, and this is why I've, I'm finding it so important to memorize verse, you know, clusters of verses, not just one verse, because probably some of us know this, for by grace you are saved, and that not of yourselves, uh, wait a minute, but I better read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, sorry, and that not of yourselves, it's a what? Gift. Now, here we're going to get some gifts. Some of you pulled the right raffle thingy dingy. And when Sarah or whoever gives you that gift and you say, I don't want it, (laughs) did you earn anything to get the gift? No, you just, (laughs) a gift has to be received. So that's the whole thing of salvation. Because look at verse 9. It's not a result of works. Why isn't it a result of works? So we won't... Look what I did. I'm on God's top 10 list. I did more good deeds than you. I think I went up to number two. You know, it's like he knows... (laughs) I love Psalm 103 where it says, For he himself knows our frame, that we are but dust. And as for the days of man, it's like the flowers of the field that flourishes. The wind comes and acknowledges his pla- its place no longer. But the steadfast, the loving compassion of the Lord is forever and ever upon those who fear him. Look at verse 10. And this is the verse that will fit into the second step of our wedding, the betrothal. For we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Jesus For good works. Wow. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Each of you in this room have gifts that God has given, placed within you. And some of these gifts come out a little later in life. But if you're looking to Jesus as your source of value and purpose every day, he will take you... (laughs) To where you never thought you'd ever go. When it says workmanship, I think it's the Greek word poema, which means like a poem, like a masterpiece. And see, if we study our navels all day, we're going to be thinking, I'm no good, I'm no good, I'm no good. Oh, I'm no good. No, God says, I've chosen you, I've chosen you, I've chosen you, and you are my special treasured possession. So act like it. And during this betrothal period, we have this amazing time. And so look at the next portion. And this gets into a little, you know, like meddling and preaching here. Your motives will be revealed, okay? Look at 1 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 3 in your outline. Here, Paul is exhorting the congregation of Corinth to be wise about how they're building their lives, or how they're building their, their trousseau, their help, hope chest. They probably didn't have the French term back then. But um, how many know the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock? Right. Oh, but first he built his house upon the, foolish man built his house upon the sand, sand. and then everything went splat. But on the when it was on the rock, It stood firm. So we have to think, how are we building our lives? Look at what Paul says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 3. According to the, what? Grace. Grace. Do you deserve grace? No. No. But God wants to lavish it upon us because he loves us. He chose us. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise builder, he's using the example, I laid a foundation and another's building upon it. You know, one plants a seed, another waters, God gives the increase. But let each man and woman be careful how she builds upon it. For no person can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus the Messiah." Now look at verse 12. Now, if any man or woman builds upon the foundation with, say it, gold, silver, precious stones, woohoo, or wood, hay, straw. Yeah. Okay. Each person's work will become evident for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If any person's work, which has Built upon it remains. He'll receive a reward. Now, (laughs) Paul's explaining that just like a master builder, we have to understand how important our foundation is. And as we yield our motives, our behavior, and our talents and build upon the Lord we'll see the value and quality of the... He'll see the value and quality of our hearts, and it'll be seen, and it'll be seen in our daily activity. And if we're building it upon Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and have him as Lord, as the the groom of our lives, as the beloved, to please him, what are we going to get? We're going to get gold, silver, and precious stones... Now, the wood, hay, and straw in this sentence, in the scripture, represent my motives, my conduct that come as a result of trusting in myself or something other than the foundation that Jesus has laid. So if you're not building according to God's grace in you and with the goal of lifting him up, then I'm sorry to say your works will not stand the day of testing. The testing of the quality of our work will become evident when we stand before his purifying fire. Now, this is not scary. This is not a fire of judgment. This is the purifying fire, which takes away the dross, and we see the pure gold. And this is is very important, so I want you all to listen, because I have it bolded in my notes. You ready? One day, and I think it's going to be soon, you and you alone will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Your husband won't be with you. Your children won't be with you. Your BFF won't be with you. It'll just be you. Grandkids. It will just be you and Jesus, It's called the Bema. As you stand before him, your deeds, those things that you've been doing each day that matter to him, will go through the fires of testing to see who and what you were trusting in. And again, these truths should not frighten us, but rather inspire us to draw closer to Jesus each day in worship and study of his word. I don't know about you. But I want to receive the rewards that will stand the test of his purifying fire so that I can lay them at the feet of my Messiah Jesus in utter thankfulness for his saving love. What do you think? You want the same thing? That's the idea. And he's called us to be pure, a word that is in both Greek and Hebrew It doesn't mean like ivory soap, 99.9% pure. So because I'm older, I have these, you guys don't even know what ivory soap is. (laughs) You never heard that commercial. But it's not that. It's totally pure ceremonially speaking so we can be holy and blameless before him. That's the idea of being called to holiness and so in this next time together you're gonna look at these scriptures that talk about how do we be pure and I think your small group leaders will take you through that and I just wanna say um, it's not it's not about a race to do a bunch of good stuff because some of you have very long to do lists and that's good Could be, but it depends on what the to-do list is about and who you're doing it for. That underlying strength, are you relying on him to give you his strength, his grace in each situation? Because um, it's really about our heart commitment to trust our groom and bring honor to his name in whatever we're doing while we wait for him in this betrothal period, this period of sanctification, because while we are waiting, guess what? Every say it with me, everything you do matters to God. So that everything you do matters to God. Now personally, everything I do, everything I do matters to God. Lord, we thank you for this, these two steps. The fact that you chose us and that you made us a match. And we chose you right back because we love you. And we want to go deeper in this love. And then we thank you that you have now brought us into that betrothal period, that engagement period where we are yours. We just haven't seen the final end yet. But we want to be holy unto you. And during this period of sanctification, we want to understand what it means to be pure in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. And we pray now for this small group discussion that you'd bless each person to be able to share and the the leaders and the whole discussion would bring glory to you. And in your name we pray, Amen. amen. All right.